So after playing around with some of the new things that were announced at WWDC, today we talk about iPadOS, accessibility features, as well as SwiftUI and everything that brings. Welcome to Contragarians. Well, good morning, Benedict. Good morning, Russ. How are we doing? It's a week after WWDC. Um, we have a lot to talk about, I guess. Um, yeah. We want to talk about a few topics uh, that we're very passionate about, I think. Um, but before we do that, like, what's been going on? How are you doing? So I'm still in the catching on phase. I think it's 145 videos this dubbed up, including the videos that didn't have a session. So um, that's a lot of watching that has to be done in at work and in the spare time. I'm still in the phase of just watching videos, uh, reading reading articles, and playing around with the changes in Swift and with the with the new APIs and so on. So it's it's just let's call it madness. It's I'm, I'm very excited <laughs> about all the things, um, but it's just so much. It's fantastic. You said like it's about 145 videos. Are you planning to watch all of them or no? But at least I want to, for those that I'm not watching, at least I want to look at the slides briefly to see if maybe something interesting is in there to just get an overview of the topic. Um, there is, as an example for something that not necessary, I would not necessarily watch, but there is uh, now support for indoor floor planning, so uh, indoor floor mapping. And by default, that's nothing I'm interested in. However, I wonder, I was wondering how much work it would be to take the office where we work and put it into the Apple um, indoor maps because it seems there's also support for private companies to just have their office map. If I'm looking at the slides and it looks interesting, I might in the end do it. But that, I mean, there's a lot of ease to watch. So at some point, I have to, I have to filter. Right, because I have a short list in my notes of about 20, 25 videos, I guess. And I've watched some of them, and I think that's a good list to start. And sure, there might be some that I miss, but whatever, I guess. Yeah. Um, I do really like what you pointed out with the uh, downloading just the slides, though, because there was a talk that I wanted to watch, and I didn't have the time. And I was like, well, I'll just look at the slides as a starting point. Um, and the slides normally are really good uh, mm. at WWDC. And I didn't, like, without even thinking about it, without realizing it, I went through the slides, and I was like, hey... Maybe I don't even have to watch the talk, or if I do, I know which parts to to look at, um, and that that was really really nice. So mm. I think that's a really great tip for people that maybe don't have all the time, um, or just want to get a quick overview of like, hey, what are what is being talked about in this in this session? Uh, download the slides and and take a look at those. Also, once once you're done watching a video. Um, to recall what was said in the video, it's also oftentimes useful to just look at the slides again instead of watching the video a second time. Like some of the videos need a second watching because uh, there's so much content in there. But sometimes you, you're sufficient, you're well off if you just have a look at the slides again to, to remember all the things that were in there. And I think especially for those uh, like the native English speakers, but for me it's also really nice um, I would recommend either using uh, an app to watch the videos or a trick that I will put in the show notes to be able to change the playback rate of the video uh, so you can also watch it at a higher speed and like then you don't have to spend like the full 40 minutes for like a talk uh, but can actually watch it like up to twice well sure you can make it five five times as fast but that's probably a bit too too much um, but you can like spend a bit less time and, and go through them a bit quicker. That's really nice for me. 
Yeah, that's very useful to do. And sometimes you can also, um, what you don't have on the slides is the, the live coding. So usually when they do live coding, there's a lot of information in, in the live coding and you don't have that on the slides. Um, you can sometimes cut that out, out of the video. But if you, if you download the video, you can just take the live coding part out, for example, to have that handy because sometimes in the live coding, there's much more information. Yeah, and I think that's also a good tip retroactively to the slides. Um, most of the time, if not all, they have a slide called demo. Mm -hmm. uh, before they do a demo so then you know like hey this this there is a demo here uh, i should watch that maybe if i'm interested yeah and sometimes on the page where you download the video and where you have the the slides obviously there's also the sample code um although they don't have sample code all the time so there were a couple of swift ui sessions for example where the sample code isn't released yet because um it depends on features that are part of the next build um so not always where you have a demo you also have sample code but I assume that they will add those later. Yeah, I, I don't know sometimes. Right. Yeah. Um, so, Bene, I talked to you just now saying that I have something interesting to announce, actually. Yes. And you don't, you don't even know what it is. No, I have no idea. So how interested are you on a scale of 1 to 10? 11. <laughs> <laughs> no, so um, now, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm really interested. So one of the things I've been busy with lately is... Joining the Way Wender League team. Oh, wow. So I'll be joining as a tech editor there. Wow, congratulations. Thank that's you. cool. Thank you. Nice. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. um, it's something I like, it's something I, I care about. I really like like tech editing mm -hmm. and reviewing and, and helping people like get out something great. Um, and one of the people that I think I met them through Moya, which is uh, Shai, mm -hmm. uh, doing a lot of work on, on Rx. Mm -hmm. uh, I met him then later at WWDC last year. And he's one of the people also working on like books and mm -hmm. like tech editing the books. And he's been tweeting about it. And at some point, I was just at a point where I was like, I'm just going to ask because I would love to do this as well. Um, and yeah, nice. That's now cool. we're here. Nice. And um, so that's something you basically do uh, in your spare time then? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, so I think it's also about, like, it's not too much work, basically. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, really, really looking forward to that. Cool. Um, did you already start or is it something you will start now? It's something I will start now. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, I did like a tryout. So there is like some kind of interview process, basically. Um, but I'm all set up to to start uh, i have a couple more questions if, if yeah to, okay so um is it for a certain range of topics or for broad like only on let's say swift related topics or is it for a broader range of tech topics where you sometimes have to also have to dive in yourself to to see what it's about so i'm in the ios team mm -hmm. so it will mostly be ios and swift mm -hmm. um i think there might be some exceptions in some cases but it should should be focused on on ios and swift mm -hmm. yes Okay, cool. I'm looking forward to a future episode where you can tell us more about what this entails and how it is, because maybe there are also listeners who find this interesting and, and can then aspire to go in a similar direction. That sounds like a great idea. So then next, we want to talk about iPad. Um, so WWDC brought a lot of interesting news surrounding iPad. 
Um, and specifically what makes it interesting to me is, well, actually that I will be giving, like will be mentoring about iOS at Swift Island in a month. Um, but the iPad is something really weird to me where it's like, I haven't used my iPad in a while because, um, like I commute from home to work and then I, you know, either sleep or I use my phone if I really need to do something. Quick, quick intermezzo for our listeners. What kind of iPad do you have? Right. So I have an iPad, uh, 10.5 iPad inch. Pro 10.5. Yes. Um, with a keyboard, which is really helpful, which is really nice. Official Apple keyboard. Correct. Um, which I got for free from Apple, but that's a story for another time. Um, so yeah, 10.5 inch iPad pro. Um, but like I said, like, I feel like at work, I use my MacBook at home. I use my iMac and I don't really have a place to use my iPad. Mm -hmm. Um, because that's what many people then say is like, Oh, don't you use it to watch videos? And it's like, no, then, well, either I, I use the iMac again mm -hmm. or my iPhone. Well, what is when you travel? Um, I mean, what is traveling? Right. Let's say a train, plane. Yeah. So then most of the time I'm either sleeping or okay. reading. And when okay. I'm reading, again, I use my phone. Okay. Um, but that being said, I really, really like the iPad. And it's something that when I get to use it, when I do feel that, hey, this really makes sense now, making notes with the Apple Pencil, which I guess that's one of the things I should do more often. Mm. Um, it feels really nice. So I was actually super happy with all the improvements. Uh Actually, the whole new OS, which mm -hmm. is something I'm actually still not sure about. No, what I think it's it's mostly a marketing term for now. Um, at least that's what um, what I think it's it in general was what people came down to. However, I feel that in the years to come, we will see a, a, a difference between iOS and iPadOS. But right now, it's just they are showing that they want this to be its own operating system, and then I guess in the next years it will become its own entity. Yeah, I'm still like I can see it going that way but then to me it still doesn't really make sense to do that this now already because at least to me related to this marketing like i'm confused i'm like why why is this already ipad os mm -hmm. um, well, and then i'm obviously also wondering if we will go back to iphone os one day <laughs> yeah it's a good question um i mean that it that does do a lot of things that the iphone does not do with ios let's say pencil kit is something that's only on the ipad um, then the with with iPad OS now how the widgets move in there is something the iPhone doesn't do and there are many more things so it it does have in, its distinctive operating system features that differ from how iOS does it so I, if that warrants a new name is debatable but I, I, it, it seems Apple thought so. Oops, noise. Um, yeah, no, that 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 makes sense. Um, like I said, it's just it just feels a bit weird still, um, especially from the point as a developer. Like I'm I'm used to the iPad having different like mm. different APIs or uh, that your UI alert controller crashes when you don't uh, set the popover controller, etc. Um, so it's something that I'm just gotten like like I've gotten used to that with it being called iOS, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, so. One of, I mean, there are two things to use 
as a developer to use an iPad. On the one hand, you can do the um, you can do some sort of organizational task. You can do scheduling and notes and so on. Uh, but then there's also the development part. As a developer, a huge part of what we do as our job is software development, right? And that's usually where the iPad was less of an option um, for many reasons. But um, just to note some, it's that um, Playgrounds wasn't a full-fledged editor. And also, if you do a lot of cursor movement with your with your hand, it quickly becomes tiresome. If you always have to lift up your hands, move the cursor down one line and stuff like that, do small selections, because most of the time we are not actually writing text or writing code, we are editing code. And editing means a lot of small selections and moving stuff around. So this somehow changed with this year's release, right? Well, I mean, regarding the text selection, you can, of course, if you have a keyboard, which I do, then you can use a keyboard, which works I would say like that's easier than using your your uh, your hand, your fingers, um, and that works as well. But yeah, definitely. So one of the big things that was introduced this year is an accessibility feature called pointing devices, and it's under like assistive touch, so it helps you with touching the screen, and it's none other than support for mice and touchpads. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really really cool. Especially, it's, it's I think, at this point, the greatest or, like, the best feature where you can, like, clearly see that, yes, it's an accessibility feature, but it's there for really, like, for everyone. Mm. Um, and I think that's something that Apple, like, obviously, accessibility is something that Apple does really well. We will go into a bit more um, in a bit. But they have some great accessibility features that, you know, when you think about it, it's like, oh, yeah, that's an accessibility feature. Mm. But you don't, like, initially think of that about that. So one of the few things that I can think about was the whole smart invert that was there before mm. we're now getting dark mode, where mm. you already had some kind of dark mode on many screens. Um, you have text to Siri, where you can turn off, like, the voice to Siri and use your keyboard, um, which might be easier if you... are in a situation where you can't talk um we have like uh, the the dynamic type that's like i think in general in our at least in 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 the western culture like glasses etc like they're not really seen as like hey that's like an accessibility feature but at Mm. the same time it is and it's like it's just super useful for anyone and whatever your need is you can use that feature mm-hmm. and, and make it your own i t- totally agree um uh, i mean you connected a pointing device to your ipad already to to play around with it and it i love it it's fantastic it's one of the things that i missed the most on my ipad before um, when i was doing text editing for example i know you can do it with shortcuts my problem is the kind of shortcuts that i expect for text navigation the ipad doesn't support it i'm an emacs and vim user and they're they you can do much more than the ipad supports and so i i feel very constrained and so then having a mouse is better than having having just these very limited shortcuts that the ipad has but i don't want to transgress in this area so i'm i love it that the um that there's finally a pointer device support for ipad i really love it I would love if one of the companies that manufactures the keyboards comes out with a keyboard for the iPad that has an attached touchpad, like we have for the uh, Windows Surface devices. They have these 
type covers that you connect and there's a touchpad on that. I would love to have that for the iPad. Now I know this doesn't work with the smart connector. The smart connector doesn't support the, um, doesn't support the touchpad, but they can connect over Bluetooth. That's fine. I would love to see that. I hope one of the companies is crazy enough to manufacture something like that. Yeah, so I'm still not entirely sure how I think about it. Like it's been a lot of fun, like trying out a mouse. Um, but I haven't, again, like I haven't really started using the iPad yet, I would say. Um, and to me, like adding the whole trackpad, like it's interesting, but then like, why would you use an iPad over a MacBook, right? Like then it kind of becomes a MacBook again. And it feels weird to me. For I mean, I have a simple explanation for that. And that is usually uh, I, when I do short travels, I don't want to lock around five devices. So I want to take the iPad, do some coding, but then when I'm done with the coding, like flip the, flip the, um, type cover back to the back of the pad and then do some play play some games watch a video read a book and then flip the type cover back and do some coding or write on write an article i want to do it with one device so cu currently i have to lock around two devices because if i want to do the programming in a proper manner i need a, a small macbook the smallest possible but that one hasn't been updated in a long time so uh, it's currently it's it's a tricky issue if you just want to travel with one device and so you still need multiple devices yeah i i guess that makes sense also for me it would also be like when i'm traveling i don't really care about doing all the things right like when i'm traveling and most of the time you're already like either on vacation or like on a conference so you have like a focus on for things to work on and then i still like i don't see myself using all of that but i i mean it's a definitely a valid point hmm. um so one small thing well it's not small but one thing i wanted to quickly point out as well and it's not just ipad um, but another new accessibility feature, which is voice control. Mm. And voice control uh, lets you control your device by voice, right? So it's not just iPad, it's also iOS, it's also macOS. Um, and you can see it as like a, hey Siri, whatever. And then it triggered Siri. Thank you. <laughs> um, but you can ask anything. So you can say, open my settings, but you can say, uh, tap uh, notification center, right? Like you can tap just buttons within an app mm -hmm. and you can navigate through an app just by voice. Yeah, it looks really impressive. It, it, it's like Blade Runner. It's basically you see there and you tell the computer what to do and the computer just acts. And it's in a different way than Siri because you also would tell Siri what to do in the past, right? It's like it's not like we were never able to talk to our computers, but this is different because you somehow tell it to modify its UI and, and, and zoom in on things. It's really cool. Right. I mean, this is a lot more powerful, right? Whereas Siri is more of an assistant. This can just let you control the whole, like, OS. Mm. Um, and on the flip side, what I think is really, really, really cool is that how this works, and you should definitely try it out, and we will link to something that you can that you can look at, is you can get an overview of everything that you can do on the screen. So you have mm. like labels everywhere. Mm. And that's useful, you would say, but it's very useful as well for like um, validating accessibility in an app mm. because you can get a super quick visual overview. Hey, this is where we are lacking accessibility labels or this is where we use incorrect accessibility labels. Mm. And I think this will be a huge step forward to like, like making the gap smaller for people to say, hey, let's not do accessibility because it's such like so much work and we don't know how to test it properly. And this will definitely change that. And I'm super looking forward to 
uh, how this will improve like all the accessibility support in all of the apps. Mm. I'm looking forward to hands-free hammock development, where I lie in a hammock and I just tell the computer what to do. <laughs> Open Xcode, start simulator, go back to Xcode, fix bug. Fix bug, yes. yes. Maybe next release. File a radar for <laughs> addition, in addition to fix bug. Yeah. Um, at some point, Siri is like, uh, do you want to create a shortcut for file for file a radar? You seem to use it very often. I mean, there is a quick, I don't know, there is a quick action in the new feedback assistant mm. Uh, to like uh, click, quickly create a new feedback thing because it's not a radar anymore. Mm. Um, so I suppose you can do that with voice control as well, mm. which is interesting. Another another new thing that came with iPadOS, obviously, mm. is the new window management options that, to me, were confusing before and are even more confusing now. Did you already look into that? How do you do you feel? So I haven't looked into it from a programming perspective, which mm. I will soon. Mm. Um, but as a user? But as a user, I've tried it. And yes, I'm still not too big of a fan in the sense that like the UI, the UX to, to trigger it is confusing. Um, what is especially confusing to me, and I still haven't solved it, is if you open your main app mm. and then you want to open a second app in that same screen mm. and you don't have it on your dock i literally like i do know how to get it in there but it feels it feels so wrong you go back to the home screen you like drag the app you want to add then you drag from the bottom open the initial app again and then drop the second it's it's, it's not ideal so A multi multi finger workflow yeah so now that you have like multiple apps with multiple stacks with multiple gestures within those apps it's I guess an extension to how I feel about WWDC as a whole, overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I get that. Yeah. I but then I I mean what I think what they're trying to do or not I think I mean there is uh, that, that's what they said. So what they're trying to do is have the iPad be an experience that scales from a very from a user that only does a little bit. Let's say some someone from the elderly that that just uses in a simple manner like my mother does to someone who wants to do pro-level things. So they try to scale all the way, much more than the Mac, which the Mac requires much more knowledge once you, once you start using it. Like my, my mother can't use a mouse. She doesn't understand the concept. So, um, but she, she understands the touchscreen. Um, so this is also much more difficult than, um, than what the Mac does. On the other hand, I feel if we have this assistive touch, um, assistive devices where you can connect a mouse and you unlock this pro mode, why not have something similar for the UI where you can basically uh, do a button somewhere and then you have a more pro level UI that's for somebody who understands the concept easier to use than trying to scale all the way but but i guess it's um, it's very tricky and they also have their ideas and philosophies for how they want the ipad to work yeah i just want to go on the record saying that i really don't see pointing devices as a pro mode it's really there i see it more as an uh, as an accessibility feature yes it can be useful for anyone Like it's not. I don't see it as a promo. Sure, promote wasn't the right term, but I just I, I know people that don't know how to use a pointing device, but can use a touchscreen. And then, like, I'm not like user experience designer or whatever, but I've never seen like this like unlock promo. Like the the closest that gets to that on Mac would be like open like adding the developer menu in Safari. Hmm? So it's really limited. So I'm not sure if that's a great way to do it. Um, what is funny, though, is that the initial multitasking 
mode on iOS 8 or 9 when was it introduced um, was ridiculed because you would have to scroll on mm. the right if you wanted to switch your yeah. secondary app. Yeah. Um, but at least there was a way to find the secondary app. Without, exactly. Yeah. So that's basically what I wanted to say is like, yeah. it was not great, um, yeah. but it feels like it was better than what it is right now. So yeah, it's interesting. So you played around with a small new thing called Swift UI. Swift UI. Yeah. So, so what what have you what have you experienced? What have what are your thoughts? So I started playing around with it almost immediately after I started look, uh, watching the videos. And initially, I was confused because it did things that like the, the the way the code was written did things that didn't seem possible with Swift. And then obviously, as many people pointed out, um, Apple sneaked a, a new feature in, um, the uh, function builders. And um, added, together with a couple of other Swift features, this allows the kind of syntax that you use for um, for Swift UI. And that's now being used by a lot of people to do incredibly cool things. To me, actually, Swift UI is, is fantastic and I'm looking forward to using it. But one thing out of this dub, that came out of this dub dub is the switch from Swift 5 to Swift 5.1 with these three additional features that, that were used for Swift UI makes Swift a much more compelling language. Now, also a more difficult language, obviously, but a lot of the things that were previously impossible to do can now be done in a fantastic way, like um, proxy types are were beforehand very difficult, but with dynamic key pass lookup, you can actually do that now in a very simple manner and stuff like that. And that's stuff for another episode. Um, but Swift UI is built out of very powerful components and therefore is a very powerful framework. And um, what I really like about it is you can see the, the long-term thinking that Apple had behind it. I mean, it's I, I compiled this list of the things that SwiftUI provides, and it's basically this shared framework for all Apple platforms, right? It's not like UIKit and AppKit anymore, but it's for iOS, macOS, watchOS, for all those. And then it's declarative, which is currently the on book thing to do with UI frameworks, like React works like that, and many others work like that, and like Flutter. Can, so, you, can you give a short a bit more information what is what is a declarative ui framework what, will, what I, makes something declarative let, let me finish this list and then i will go into into this direction and then um, it's type safe um, that's another cool thing um, and then uh, it's going beyond interface builder now we know interface builder always had this issue with teams where if you're a single developer it's fantastic to use um, but if you're in a team with multiple people some hate it some love it and it's always tricky and so this goes beyond interface builder in a in a way that works well with teams um, then SwiftUI has some really interesting high-level abstractions. So um, instead of defining a lot of the details that we do with UIKit or AppKit, um, we, we just lay out what we intend. We describe basically what we want to happen and how the um, how Swift interprets it, how the compiler interprets it, is it for, can be optimized in the future. So it could be that um, that your code in the future will run even faster because uh, things will... will um, be optimized in a different manner. And then what's really cool is there's automatic support for dark mode, for dynamic text, for animations. Um, yes. All this has been handled. So you can you can see that Apple thought about this long term. They, they looked at all and, and traits. So they looked at all the things that came up over the years on iOS and on macOS and wondered, how, how can we take this model language that we have with all its features and how can, and, and look what the others are doing in terms of UI language and look at the problems that we try to solve and how can we solve this in a generic manner? 
and they delivered on that. Really, I think I think that what that's one of the things that I'm the most excited about. Like um, we've been talking within the company as well. It's like there's so many things to support and so many things to care about, and how do we figure it out? Um, and that goes obviously beyond UI, but it seems like Swift UI uh, really tries to make things easy. Yeah, like like you called out dark mode, accessibility, animations, which I think is a huge yeah. uh, thing. Yeah, um, and we're just not like we're gonna have to care about them, and we're gonna have to look at them. But Apple will make sure that we have the tools that that make it easy to support those great features. Yeah, over the past ten years, Apple came up with new additions to UI Kit, and and all of those were. Um, book in editions where when you started something they were not there immediately you had to write additional code to leverage that and then Swift UI compiles it all into one and you don't have to care about that um, so that's really fantastic so um, coming back to the the question you had earlier the way it works um, I will take a brief example of, of a game engine that that explains very simple how um, how a certain kind of application works and that goes back to how Swift UI works so when you have a game engine, basically the way it works is you have state that describes your current state of the game. That is, where is your player? Where are all the enemies? And stuff like that. Right? That is the current state of the game. And then let's say one second now, because we are talking in milliseconds here, but one second happens. And so the changes for the um, for the uh, enemies, the enemies move and maybe the player does some input so he pushes a cursor and the, the, the player character moves forward. All that is calculated in the current state. So the state is updated and then the game draws the whole scene. It redraws everything. It takes the information from the current state and redraws the whole thing. So the state describes basically what the level looks like, what the, what the user is currently seeing on screen. And then again, uh, the next, the one second later, the enemies moved a bit. So everything is drawn again based on the current state. So there's this this one state defines, describes basically what is seen on screen. And in many ways, Swift UI is is a, a way to do that with UI code. Um, instead of building up a hierarchy where you say I create a button here and then I store this button here and I add this as as a sub view, view to this view and then uh, I, I change the color of this button this is basically um, where you where you build stuff up instead of that you you declare to Swift you describe to Swift this is what I want to see so you say I what I want to see is I want to see a list and this list has three entries and the first entry in this list has a button that's what you describe, and that's what Swift will render for you. And whenever, so now we come back to the game engine. Whenever there's a change, let's say the user inputs something, then it will basically redraw the UI. It will it will take your description and run it again. And Swift will, in the background, make sure that this only the stuff that actually changes will be re-rendered so that we don't waste unnecessary cycles. Because as you can imagine, if you would re-render it all the time, it would all be very flickery because you would re-render the UI all the time. But no, your UI will only be rerun if something changes. And for that to, to, to work, Apple added another framework to, to SwiftUI called Combine. And Combine basically is used to, together with SwiftUI, to figure out if changes happen to your state. And it, it makes sure that you only have one state. And another problem that we had in a lot of iOS apps and that Apple also had in a lot of their apps, like it happened in Xcode also, like from time to time, that suddenly something is not in the correct state. Let's say you have a search field and you enter some text and then the user hits something and the search field text is 
um, cleared, but the result list is not clear. Stuff like that, where multiple items share state, but one forgets to tell the other that the state has changed. Stuff like that. Um, all this is handled with combined so that you always always only have one single source of truth. And this defines when the UI changes. So that, that's the gist of how Swift UI works. And I think that's that's another really big thing. Uh, also, like you mentioned combine, um, but one of the other new frameworks is this diffing, um, yeah. where like that's like one of the hardest things, these off by one errors, right? So like try to figure out what to diff, like what to delete, what to add, like, mm -hmm. and now you just don't have to think about it anymore. Yeah. And you can um, you you don't even have, not only have to think about it, but you can rest assured that the way it works it, it it works, and in the future it may even be improved because this is key to Apple now. It's it's key to their Swift UI framework. So you can you can rest assured it's not not just a side feature that might or might not work, but this is a really important feature to, to them. Really great, and I think one of the other things that excites me as well um, is that Swift UI is basically backed by value types. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas all the UI we've used to write were like reference types, yeah, and that might be like, oh, why do we need that? Why are we making everything a value type? But I think the most interesting about interesting thing about it is that it re makes it really easy to serialize. Mm -hmm. um, so Johnson, Alex, you already looked into, hey, we can even more easily write JSON and map that to UI, right? Mm -hmm. Because we can just serialize it. Mm -hmm. um, and I can see that as also like state preservation, which is something that has been on iOS since iOS 8 or earlier. Mm -hmm. Basically, nobody uses it. I don't know why. Maybe it's because it's like in some kind of corner in the in the in the APIs. Mm -hmm. um, but this will make that a lot easier and a lot more interesting. And then you can have a great experience basically with this whole functional way of we have a state that renders my UI. Um, we can do state preservation without much effort, mm -hmm. and you will will just have a lot of a better experience writing UI and mm -hmm. and handling state in our apps. And I think that's really interesting. Yeah, not only that, it's also that since SwiftUI is much simpler to write, you have to write much less in order to um, to have the same output than you would have with UIKit. One of the benefits is that you have more time to work on the stuff that's more interesting, that that um, that you want to work on that's not UI-related stuff, right? So it, it frees you from investing so much time into view controllers and UIKit and so on and just work on the specifics of your app. Um, right before DubDub, I came back from a vacation, and here's a small story. And I, on the vacation, I had an idea for a small app that I wanted to write for myself, um, uh, for the watch and for the phone. And so I, um, I opened Xcode on it was on the Sunday before the, the DubDub, and I created the first view uh, view controller. And I looked at it, and I was like, oh no. Because I just remembered all the stuff I had to do that I already had done a thousand times to create a basic view controller for a table view. And I looked into it and I was like, no, no. And I, I closed Xcode and I went on with my life. And um, then on Monday, this hit and I started working on this app immediately with Swift UI and it was much more fun. And now I can, I can focus on the things that are actually relevant to my app that, that make, like, I don't have to waste a couple of hours to create this UI. The UI is done now. And I can focus on the things that actually make up the app that it's much more interesting. Thing. Okay, so to close up, or to close out, whatever, uh, I have one more question regarding that. Um, one of the things they focused on is like, hey, you have to write, you can write less and get mm -hmm. more, or at least get the same. Mm -hmm. um, 
And that's like, I haven't had time to dive into Switch UI yet. And I'm, I was a bit skeptical. I'm less skeptical now, but like less also means that it might be harder to read. I think the whole functional uh, approach and the whole like, declarative uh, way of doing it alleviates a lot of that and, and makes it not a big issue. But like, what are you, your thoughts on that? So we didn't even touch yet on the things that are not so well in SwiftUI because there's a couple, I mean, if if one of the listeners thinks, oh, I, I should go into SwiftUI now, um, before I reply to your to your question, the thing is that this is still early technology. I mean, Apple hasn't shipped a huge app with SwiftUI yet. Uh, I, I know the, the calculator on, on WatchOS 6 is done with SwiftUI. But a lot of things still have to, like some features are, uh, are not even released yet. There's a component called Forum that doesn't exist yet. It's coming in a future seed. And so I wouldn't build a big app with this right now until there's there's more knowledge. Because one thing that SwiftUI does is it makes a lot of abstractions. And so a couple of things that you could do with UIKit, you can't do anymore because the the facilities are not there. Like with UIKit, let's say you want to do, to do something specific with a UI table view, you could subclass UI table view and then you could override some methods and then maybe set a delegate and then you could totally change the behavior. You can't do this here. The behavior is encoded in a manner that you can't override because these are value types. And so... Um, only what Apple officially sanctions in their in their public API for these value types is what you can actually work on, and and a lot of things are missing there. So um, this is good because th this higher level abstraction allows Apple to do more optimizations in the future. But this is also bad because a couple of things that you would want to do you can't do, and, and for that you can always resort back to your iKit and and host your iKit views within SwiftUI, so you're fine. It, it's but but still, I would wait a bit before pulling the, fully going this route. Now, coming back to your question, I actually feel that because of this higher level abstraction, it, this is much easier to read than with UIKit because when you do something with UIKit, you create a, a view hierarchy in any way possible. Some people do it in viewdit load. Some people do it in, in a, a storyboard. Some people do it in a setup something function that is called from the initializer or, or from viewdit load or somewhere. And then some people also have it spread, spread out over your over the view controller or, or maybe some stuff also happens in the views. So the you you don't have a single source of truth that you can look at and say in code and say okay this is what the view looks like because the way the, what the view looks like fundamentally in order to see it you have to run it Be people put stuff everywhere you may have a policy in your company but if you don't have that it's it's tricky and with the swift ui the whole description of what the view looks like and what it does is encoded basically in this one element uh, and you look at that and you immediately i mean you you may need to look at a couple of additional views because you can nest them but it's much easier to understand so i think that is a boon i think i already like feel that way i like do agree there and um, because although i've never really done that much ui coding like i, I dread looking at a class and seeing like the first 150 lines being label equals ui label set xyz mm -hmm. label equals ui label mm -hmm. do uh like constraints and it's like come oh. on i've seen this a million times yeah and the 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 manual auto layout is my non-favorite it's like you look at code and then you have like 50 lines of doing these uh, creating these auto layout constraints and it, it takes some time to parse it's not like this is you look at that code and you're trying to okay so this goes here and this has a space there okay no i just run it and see what it looks like and that's why i love storyboards and we will definitely probably talk about this later but 
one thing we haven't touched upon either is like this whole uh, live coding, basically, mm-hmm. where we have live updates. And mm-hmm. I think that also works outside of Swift UI. Yeah. Um, so that will also help a lot. Yeah. There. Only on Catalina, but um, w- which is also fun. Usually after after Dopta, when a new macOS release came, it took months. And sometimes you would even see half a year or, or half a year after the official release on October, you would see de- developers with old macOS releases. They were like, yeah, I don't see the urge to upgrade. I feel Catalina will be the fastest upgrade on macOS we've ever seen. It, it will be like, it will come out, it, it will even, the Golden Master will come out, it will not even be the official release and people will have it installed. I, I think especially developers. Yes, let's yeah, see. developers, let's see of course. Yeah. I, I can already, like some of the people here at the company, they started um, making space uh, like on their partition to have a second boot partition to install Catalina. Like I'd never seen that before. Also, pro tip, you can install it on a USB stick. Um, and if you buy a really fast USB stick, it's not as fast as your SSD, but then it's fast enough to run it off, your, off the USB stick uh, as a, uh, instead of having to free space in your device. And then you can play with Catalina. That's really nice. That's also much better than running in, uh, running in a virtual machine where you have problems with uh, the GPU because the simulator is now GPU in, uh, enabled. And so it doesn't run that well in a virtual machine anymore. Wonderful. I think that sums it up for today. Yeah. Um, lots more to talk about regarding WWDC. Uh, but this was a nice introduction. This was a nice start. And I'm looking forward to exploring all of it and, and seeing where we're headed. Yeah, me too. There's so much stuff to talk about. It's like we, we have, to, I think we have content for another six episodes, just the stuffed up and what comes after this, because we are not done yet. There are additional seats coming out and stuff. Let's see. Yeah. We actually also have some more interesting podcast episodes coming up. Um, which we won't talk about too much yet, but here's a teaser. All right. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. And if you have any feedback, you know, you can find us on Twitter. 